Bruchim Aboyim B'Shem Hashem. No? Oh, no video. Hold on, hold on. Yes, video. Yes, video. No video. Yes, video. Hey. No fresca. There is somewhere. Bruchim Aboyim B'Shem Hashem, Berachnuchem B'Veis Hashem. We hope everybody enjoyed their Purim. And all the surprise, Mishlach Manas, that might have come even the day after. Well, no fresca in it, surprise. <laughs> um, there was a booklet we gave out this year with, the, with our Mishlach Manas. Hope you read and, and all the inspiration. Ah, Chaim, all the inspiring stories that are in the booklet and um, in the back of the booklet we explain the Mlav Malka, the importance of Mlav Malka, the great uh, greatness of Mlav Malka, and also the greatness of drinking a hot drink. Boy. And because the theme was Sudas David Malka Meshicha, the Mlav Malka, therefore the Mishnah Manais was a tea chest with tea bags in them for you to have for your future Mlav Malkas. May you all have many, many Mlav Malkas together. Tonight's shir is dedicated Lila Nishmas Harav Achosid Rav Yitzchok Shalom Rav Eliezer Shlita Tonight being his first yard site with Ches Adar man that was literally Stolen from our midst at a very, very young age. Mishnah tells us that whoever runs from COVID, COVID chases him. This was typical Rabbi Yitzchok his humbleness as a matter of fact if I say anything more I'll probably have dreams tonight in which he'll probably come to me and smack me around for doing it A selfless person, totally dedicated and devoted, pure, honest, and missed by many besides just his own children. May he be a male for his family on this evening. All his children find their zivug and their shidduchim. And may the Almighty give us all our condolences that we deserve and that we need for this holy man whose first yard site is tonight. We have also Baruch Hashem. Hey, you're my leathers tonight. My daughter, Chaya Mushka. Zayin Yotnishtak, Mishiliv, Amir Vesim. Yimala Hashem, Kol Mishal, Eslibo, Leteva, Vodavracha. 
together with her husband and with an upcoming child. It's about enough for the shout-outs. The halachis. I should I tell everybody about his father's yesterday's birthday too, maybe, yeah? The halachis, shleishim yayim, kaydam achag. 30 days prior to the yomtiv, we begin to darshan, we begin to speak about the yomtiv. Ironically, Pesach and Rosh Hashanah are most famed for it. Although Sukkot is also learned when we, once we start Hilchas Rosh Hashanah, we already going to Yom Kippur, we going to Lulav and Sukkot. But the starting to learn takes place actually on Ishkedesh El. Purim, it says, by the Sudas Purim, which I believe now, I'm looking back, I think I neglected to do so. By Sudas Purim, it is an Indian to mention the beginning of the studying of Hilchas Pesach. It's inevitable you mention it. Because the women, as they're cleaning up from the Sudas Purim, are hyperventilating, thinking that, uh oh, I have to start Pesach cleaning. Which really I started already after Hanukkah, but now I really have to start. It's a nightmare. Not for them, for us. We become the carbon Pesach, the children become carbon Pesach. This Shabbos also is Shabbos Pora. The racists like to say that if you have Shabbos Zachar, so they want to have a Shabbos Nekeva. Because they translate Zacha, instead of remember, they translate it to mean male. So the same racist that's as smart as that, that thinks Zacha means a male, also thinks that the para means the female. And needless to say that being racist is obviously not the sharpest tool in the shed. Pashas Kisisa discusses the Machzah Sashekel, as we read several weeks ago, Pashas Golim. You may not... Oh, okay, you heard, he got in. Cool, he's able to do it himself. You added yourself. I don't know how you did that. No, my not also does it. Season. Is there any fresco in the cabinet? Fresco, no, it didn't get finished. So this Shabbos is Pasha's Pora, as, pa- as well as Pasha's Kisisa. <coughs> Pasha's Pora, we read from Pasha's Chukas, which talks about the Pora Aduma. There is fresca in the house. Yesh fresca Babirazu. See? Not to be forsaken or forlorn, we have fresco. Baruch Atad, you know you're in the Chum Shakol, you have a good Wonderful.
the Torah tells us when it comes to Machzus Hashekel, Torah tells us Zayitnu. This is what should be given Machzus Hashekel from the Machzus Hashekel. Why isn't it run online? Hmm? And the Torah tells us what is a shekel. Esrim geira hashekel. The shekel is twenty geira. Hence, we're giving matzah a shekel. Half of the twenty geira, which is ten. And that is true Malashem. What great math. If the tailor wants to tell us how much we have to give, the tailor should tell us A half a shekel. If the tater wants to translate it into gator, let the tater tell us ten gator. Why tell us that a full shekel is twenty gator? And therefore the person has to give a half of the shekel. And the tater doesn't even elaborate to say that it's ten gator. We could say perhaps that this is an extreme lesson in the service of man to God. It is known It is known that a person has Eser, Kirchus, and Nefesh. They have ten Kirchus and Nefesh, ten attributes. Those ten attributes are Chochma, Bina, Das. Chesed, Vura, Teferes, Netzach, Heid, Yisoyed, and Malchus. And these ten attributes come about from the ten Sviris Hakdashas of the Evishta. According to this, we can understand what goes on here with the 20 gator being a shekel and we want only a half a shekel. A person sometimes could think that it's sufficient that he gives his all. He gives everything he has. And by giving everything he has, he gives all his 10 strengths to God. And this way he's forgiven for everything. He becomes pure. This is the commandment of Machzus HaShekel. To tell the person, after you did everything, with your ten keiches and nefesh, you're not complete yet. How much more complete can I get? I gave everything. I gave my whole ten. Tells the tater that after you give your ten, you have to know that in order for you to become something, 
It's only if you attach your ten with the ten of the Abishta, the ten of the Almighty God. Then it's considered the ten and the ten, becoming a twenty, which twenty gata is one full shekel. The hand of God. God's message. God's lesson in life. How often do we merit to see the hand of God? How often do we merit to see Divine providence come before us. Several years ago on Dalit Shvat, the Ilula of the Baba Sali of Rabbi Salah Bukhatsera I gave a class, it was a shear, and I told a story of the Baba Sali. There was a young fellow, approximately 32 years old, Thirty-two years old. Let's get me my rabbi card. Unfortunately, as a man with family of children, and unfortunately discovered that he had a brain tumor. Babasali and as he came into the Babasali Babasali was a very holy man and he would look at a person he would know what their ailments were what their sicknesses were what their problem was etc and as he came to the Babasali the Babasali looked at him and so, unfortunately, there was not much he could do for him. He saw that the illness that he was carrying was fatal. And there was nothing he could do. The Babasali handed him a single dollar to say that he would live maximum another year. The man broke down and he began to cry and he begged the Babasali please I do everything right I behave like a righteous Jew I was an Av Bezden he was the head of a Bedin in, in Israel please I have a family little children please bless me that I will be healed and I will live long to which the Babasali told him, there's nothing I can do, I'm afraid. But, the Babasali said, if you want, there's only one person in the world that maybe, maybe can help you out. And that is the Rebbe. Travel to the Rebbe. Maybe the Rebbe can get you an extension on your life. They traveled with his wife to the Rebbe. As they came in front of the Rebbe, the Rebbe gave his wife a dollar with the children. Everyone received a single dollar. And without telling the Rebbe what was going on, 
The Rebbe turned to him and told him, And the Rebbe began to count out. And the Rebbe handed him sixteen dollars. One six. Sixteen dollars the Rebbe handed him. And the Rebbe didn't say another word. He returned to Israel and went straight to the Babasali. And he told the Babasali that the Babasali Rebbe gave him sixteen dollars. And the Babasali said he was the only one that could possibly have done that. You will live sixteen more years. And in 16 years, unfortunately, was the end of his extension. He had the tumor in his brain and everything, but he lived 16 quality years. Now, I told this story several years ago. I read it and I told it. It was the Yudulah of the Babasali, Dalit Shvat, we had a shear. They asked me to tell a story with the Babasali and the Rebbe, although they never met each other physically in this world, but the Babasali has said many times has he had gotten together with the Rebbe. Spiritual giants, you don't ask such questions. Last night I went to a wedding. The Chosen is a fellow that we met on our Friday journeys, and we go to put on tefillin with, the, with people. We met him several years ago, and Baruch Hashem, almost every Friday, or at least every Friday that we meet him, we go to his office. He moved offices, so we go to the other office, which is further away, not from the regular place that we go to. And he, Baruch Hashem, puts on tefillin every single Friday. This boy, this chassan, married the daughter of this person that the story is about. He married the orphan. As I was sitting yesterday preparing the ksuba, the brother of the kala came over to me to tell me his family's connection with the Rebbe. And he began to tell me this very story. When I finished the story for him, he was shocked. I was with tears in my eyes and he was shocked. And I told him it's a published story which I read and and repeated already. But to be so close to the story, to speak to the son, to marry off the daughter of this person, was just an eerie moment. The Almighty's hand put me in a place that I, I, I don't know. A big schus, a very big schus. Amongst the kalim, amongst the things that I mentioned in Kisisa, spoke about already, the kior, which the kahanim had to wash their hands and feet with, and then most famously or infamously, the story of the Chet Egel. A mind-boggling story. A nation that had just received the Teda, that just said, Nasev and Nishma, we will do and we will hear, that just heard from the Almighty Himself, do not have another God, how many years passed since they got the Torah? Well, no years. You mean, uh, just days passed? Yes. Marsha went up for 40 days and 40 nights. So the whole story, let's say, okay, let's Jewish... What happened? Oh, let's, get, let's recount you the story, because obviously you're a little misinformed. No, 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 we, we got the Torah in Utah, right? Got the Torah in, in, in Yisrael. Okay. 40 okay. days after that, it's not Yisrael, no, it's not how it works, though. That's how I look at it. Well, the parshas don't necessarily have to be chronological. So why, did, why are they mentioning in this parsha? It's mentioned in Kisisa because after it talked about Yisrael and Mishpatim and then the Truma Tetzava, the, the, the temple, 
Then it told back the story of what happened back in Mount Tera. Moshe uh, goes up to Har Sinai. Huh? Why, why go back and forth? This is not a story. <laughs> There's no back and forth in Tera. Uh, it should be a set order, I think. No. It's not a storybook. No, but we have it in Bereshit. Hmm? Bereshit, Genesis, like a storybook. But there too, there are things that I mentioned repeated back and forth from before. I always, I always wondered why it's not like this. Like Moshe goes up to Hasinai to get the Luches. And he said, I will be there for 40 days and 40 nights. We'll get to it. Came to something and he altered the calculations. He altered the calculations to an extent that when they felt it was 40 days and 40 nights, Skype fell asleep. It's coming back on. Let's just do tango. Somebody tango, you can't tango a group. When they said it would be 40 days and 40 nights exactly, and ultimately... Moshe tardied according to his calculation and therefore and therefore the Sultan showed a picture of Moshe lying on a bed so that they should think that Moshe passed away and he caused havoc amongst the nation to an extent that they thought they had lost their Rebbe Moshe and the entire nation went as you'd call in America AWOL and they didn't know what to do where will, where will we get a God now? where do we find a God? how do we buy one? and the solution ultimately was how did they even have that question? how did they, how did they even have that question? Moshe wasn't that God but they figured the connection is dead, so that God is dead. But they still had the Torah. They, they still had. The Torah was worthless if there was no connection to it. Well, no, you cut off the source. You cut off the batteries. You have an, I have the chandelier, but I have no electricity. So you put some bulbs in it. The bulbs I have also. I have no electricity. No, no power. Correct. Cut, cut it off again. Yeah, but establish yourself a new leader then. So they, oh, so the idea for a new leader was a new God, and they decided to build it, they didn't know how they were going to do it, what exactly they were going to do, but ultimately, the Aaron tells them to bring from your wives and daughters the gold. And he figured that if he tells them to go to their wives, they're not getting anything, they're going to get a a Valgaholt, a rolling pin in the head. The women are not going to give gold for this. So the, the ladies weren't involved with this. So the men themselves gave the, their jewelry. That they, that's why a man's not allowed to wear jewelry, by the way. Because they, you see what happens when they have jewelry, they, they're reckless. In case you're wondering, Mr. Ring guy. So they... <laughs> <laughs> I wear it for fashion. We don't. So they gave their own jewelry. I mean, it the, and they took know. their gold, and their gold was turned into the eagle. Well, why have the golden cap? Because the guy threw in Alesha, the paper that they had for Yasef, according to one opinion, the paper that he had for Yasef to bring up Yasef from the, from the Nile, said on Alesha. Because Yasef was compared to Asher, the Kheshir of the lake. So they took that paper and they threw it into the fire. Who, who was it? Rav. Huh? No, it was somebody who followed Moshe around at the time. Sheikh is a Samcha. Well, Yoshua was on top, uh, in between the mountain, right? With Moshe. Okay. He met him halfway there. 
Why not stop him and say this is wrong? They wouldn't listen. They would not let they killed Khor. Because they killed Khor, so he was scared. They were going to kill him. And he was going to be the next leader. No, he was scared they were going to kill him too. Uh, That's how much the be on time for the mikveh. Who was Khor again? Moshe's Miriam's, Miriam's son. Miriam's son. Moshe's nephew's son. Terry tells us therefore they took the eagle boy it's late Vayizra Priamoyim Vayishak is Mnei Yisrael there was water they took the water and the Jews had to drink the water Rashi explains those three ways of punishment they wanted to have him they checked them for Ksusais Three deaths, three forms of deaths was decreed. The Saif, the Magefa, and if there were no witnesses and no warning, then it was done by giving them to drink. And the explanation for this, we find the difference between the three forms. Those that were killed, Besaif, it says in Pasuk, Vayipel Minam, they fell from the nation, they were cut down. Bimagefa, with an illness of Magefa, it says, Vayigev Hashem Esaom. And thirdly, the Pasik says, when it comes to the Bidakim Bemayim, they checked him in water, Vayishak as Bnei Yisrael. It doesn't say Esaom. Here it changes to Bnei Yisrael. Why does it change to Bnei Yisrael now? What connection was there? Those who sinned by the Egel to the wayward woman, to the Saita. Rashi explains when it comes to Chet Egel, the Pesach says, Psolacha, the Rashi writes, Moshal the Melech, it's a Moshal to a king, he put his future daughter-in-law with the servants, the maidservants, to see how she would develop with them. And so too, the Abishta put the Yidin with the Eid of Rav to see if they would be influenced by the Eid of Rav. The Jews are compared to the daughter-in-law, the, married, the marriage between the Almighty and the Jews. And therefore the sin of the eagle was like the daughter-in-law, the future daughter-in-law going and sinning. And thereby had to be given to drink like the Saita. And since the main part, the main reason for this, of this drinking is to either prove or disprove the person's guilt and it's only for the Arusa so being the Jews of the Arusa of the Almighty they have to be checked but the Erev Rav the ones, the Egyptians that came along and that were stirring up all these problems they're compared to the servants, the maidservants. And therefore only, when it comes to the other forms of death, 
the eight of Rav were counted in because they did the wrong. But when it comes to checking, did my child, did my married, engaged, betrothed woman, my betrothed wife, betrothed, sin against me? That's only the Jews that are betrothed to the Almighty God. Going to make before we go back to Potter and Kisisa, I'd like to start a little bit on Pesach. Sweet is Pasha's Potter. Firstly, we know that there's a custom which varies amongst many different parts of our nation as far as matzah goes. There are those that don't eat matzah from Purim on. There are those that don't eat matzah from Rish on. Those that don't eat the night before Pesach is B'dikus Chomets. B'dikus Chomets has to be done with ten pieces that are put down. There's a bracha made, and in the first room that we make the bracha, we have to start the bedikah. You don't make a bracha in one room and then go start in the next room. You start in the room that you made your bracha. The ten pieces are symbolic to many different things, and it's therefore important, pertinent, that these ten pieces be there. They should be wrapped in foil so they don't crumble. Traditionally, the Kishamit is done with a candle, a feather, and a spoon, a wooden spoon. Use a knife. What? Use a knife. A knife? Yeah. Instead of? A spoon. Really? Does that work? Or the feather. Instead of the feather? Yeah. Because you can cut it off. You do an X afterwards, so. Okay. I don't know, I've been very excited to sleep with salt on it, too. On the bread? Yeah, so it's on the bird outside, outside of the water. It's compared to our cinder, our cinder like sand. Okay. The chomets is then gathered, all pieces in the bag. The spoon and whatever you're using is put in the bag. The bag gets tied up with the handle of the, stu- of the spoon exposed. So you should see it, so that it will always remind you that you don't have to, that you won't, God forbid, forget to go take it to burn it. We spoke that the Erev Pesach, when we burn the Chomets, we burn all mitzvahs that were left over, the Lulav, the Adas, and the Aravis, the, the Tilot, the pieces from the, uh, the, the Menorah, the, the wicks from the Menorah, that are those people that save up a whole year, the Chala, and they burn it at her face. Uh, <laughs> it's only the barbecue custom. No. To, they take challah every week, they bake challah. Oh. They save that up and they burn it at her face. Oh, I thought you made fun of the retards that come with the No, 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 no. no. <laughs> we don't eat chametz at her face. The law is from Machatzeis. However, the our sages extended it. And the chametz cannot be eaten until the end, only till the end of the fourth hour, on the fourteenth day of Nisan. At the end of the fifth hour, we can we have to have finished burning our chametz. From midday. From chatzos on the fourteenth till the conclusion of Pesach. One may not have any chametz in their possession. All chametz must be destroyed. You not, may not possess chametz. There's uh, seven days in the diaspora, in the ex- in outside of Israel. It's extended for the eighth day as well. Chametz may not be seen in one's property for seven days of Pesach or the eight days as we said before of course God forbid one may not eat chametz during this time 
One may not have a mixture of chametz at this throughout this week. Matzah must be eaten on the 15th at night. Of course, the Seder, the two Sadarim, there are certain Shiyunim for Matzah. Are you Pesach? Yeah, sure. I'm baking actually Monday. When is Monday? This Monday afternoon. In the afternoon. Let's do Tuesday. I have an appointment. They close down the whole month. I take over the whole month to make it. Thank you. Can't change it. It's a grape and snow. Can I come with it? Yes. And only five pounds. Okay, cool. Not talking about it right now. Obviously, we know that the matzahs have to have a shear. The wine, that's the four cups of wine. My grapefruit. No, it says wine. There's murder that has to be eaten. Each thing has its own significance, all mentioned in the Haggadah. I can understand what it says here. This Shabbos, as we said, is Pasha's Pada. And therefore the Haftada is not the regular Haftada, but Haftada that talks about the Pada Duma. And thereby the Shabbos is named Shabbos Parshas Para. As you know, this week it comes out, this year it comes out on Parshas Kisisa. So we must find a connection between Kisisa and Parshas Para. Now since the first section of Kisisa, as we mentioned before, is connected to Machtas HaShekel and so much so connected that when we talk about a Kolim the reading of Shabbos Kolim we read from this part from Kisisa and Shkolim is known as one of the four Shabbosim as well so we have to see what connection is it and what connection does it have to our divine service The first glance, Shkolim and Pada seem totally opposite. Shkolim is connected to Purim because it signifies the Shkolim of Haman, the 10,000 Shkolim that he wanted to use to destroy the Jews. And therefore we're now taking the Shkolim and we're showing we're doing a mitzvah for the Jewish nation. And Pada is for Karben Pesach. Because the people couldn't bring the carbon Pesach because they were Tommy Mason. They were impure because they had touched a dead body. And the way to purify someone that's Tommy in that, in that realm is through Paraduma. And therefore was brought before Pesach. So Para is connected to Pesach and Shkolem is connected to Purim. They're total opposite Yom so then what common denominator unites them? What common theme unites the two, Pora and Shkolim? And what significance do we ascertain? The fact that it's read on the same Shabbos, what significance is that to us? In actuality, Purim and Pesach have a very strong theme that associate one with the other. Both Purim and Pesach are dealing with redemption. One is the redemption of the story of Haman, one is the redemption of Egypt. And the Gemara tells us in Masechus Megillah, Davav Amidbeis, those who are looking it up, 6 side B, Bring close one period of a redemption to another, which is Pesach to Purim. Rashi explains. <coughs> so 
So in each salvation, in each one the salvation was stressed, bring together the nation. On Purim it said bring together everybody. On Pesach it said bring together everybody. And the same way we find in Potter and Shkolem. The same emphasis. So ultimately, this is a pri- this is a connection, a primary connection between Pada Aduma, the red heifer, and the Shkolem, the half shekel tax. Both of them are related to the sin of the golden calf. The Medish explains that giving Maksa Shekel was a form of forgiveness, of expiation for the sin of the golden calf. And Rashi explains also the red heifer was. Why a red cow? It's a marshal. There was a handmaid's child that the child of one of the maids in the king's palace and the child made a terrible mess in the palace. They said, let the mother come and clean it up. Similarly, is the same here. The golden calf is forgiven by a pora aduma. What happened here? The golden calf was forgiven by a paraduma. So much so, the golden calf had a negative effect on the Jewish nation. It brought back impurity into the Jewish nation. The impurity that originally came about by the sin of the tree of knowledge by the Eitzadas. What was one of the things it brought back? The punishment of death. Which ultimately affects us all. Until that time of the Chet Eitzadas, the world was built in a way that nobody would ever die. So in order to, consequently, in order to repair this damage, there must be an action that unites the entire nation. So there's two actions. One is the giving of the half shekel, and the other is the purification of the red heifer. When it comes to the beginning of our Pasha, we find a very rare statement. An expression that makes no sense when it comes to a mitzvah. The rich should not add, and the poor should not subtract. A half shekel was a half shekel. It didn't matter if you were a rich person or if you were a poor person. Normally mitzvahs don't show favoritism. Every Jew puts on film that have four parshas in their arm and the four parshas in their head. It doesn't matter if you're rich, if you're poor. Yes, it matters sometimes the rich man buys a nice bigger pair and the poor man buys a small, but ultimately the children are the same. And here, this head tax, there's no fluctuation. Ultimately, let us understand what the half shekel was all about. This tax was used for two things. One was the Yisdesa Mishkan, the foundation basis of the Mishkan. And the second thing was for the communal sacrifices that were purchased with these funds. In both of these causes, people would say, 
a rich man should give more, and a poor man should give less. It only makes sense. Why? You want to have enough for the foundations, and you want to have enough for the sacrifices. So let's give it, let's do it right. So first of all, when it comes to the sacrifices, we know the halacha that if a, a other sacrifice, a private sacrifice that one brings, maybe a chatas or a shlomim, there are different things that they have to be, that one would have to bring. A rich man brought a better one, and a poor man brought a lesser one. Where a rich man would have to bring a sheep, etc., a poorer man, a man of less stature, would have to bring a pigeon, and then the one that had nothing would have to bring a mincha, flower. If that's the case, the same thing as the communal sacrifice. The rich man give more and the poor man give less. Communal sacrifice is taken a charitable fashion. How does charity work? Charity works, the rich man gives the poor man. The Medish Tanchuma tells us, Dovara Melech said, Equalize, balance out. Communism. <laughs> Everyone should have the same. And the Almighty said no. Because if everyone will be rich or everyone will be poor, nobody would know how to bestow kindness on another Jew. By their being rich and being poor, the concept, the mitzvah of charity is invented, created. There was no poor back then. They all were rich. They had all the money. So we're talking about later. In that case, go back to the question, give the opportunity for the wealthy man to donate more. But still the Torah says, no. Half a shekel and nothing more. It was the unity and unanimity that formed the foundation of the basis. The purification provided by the red heifer removed the person of the status of Tumah and made him tired. Impure and made him pure. How did he become Tumah? We said before. He came in contact with a dead person. Which is the strongest level of impurity. A dead body. And where did this come about, the whole concept of a dead body? Because of the tree of knowledge. The sin by the tree of knowledge, as when the Gezerah came about, the people would have to die. As the Gemara tells us in Shabbos 55b, The Arba Mesu four died through the through the serpent's machinations. Honestly, we see differences. People that did sins all their lives, and they connected because of sin, they connected themselves with death. And the people that were perfect and never sinned, and therefore not subject to death. They're in total opposite states. But practically speaking, when it comes to death, it's equal by everybody. Even those that did not die because they did something, it all comes from the serpent. So irrelevant to how much, what level of purity or impurity a person is, the red heifer came along and purified the person. Which ultimately, when everybody becomes pure, everybody's united. The carbon Pesach was a, a union 
of groups of pilgrims that came up to the holy temple and you had to bring the sheep with a group of people and groups had minimum sizes but it had to be a united effort even if a person ate only one kezayis was sufficient Ultimately, a carbon paste, like everybody should bring on his own carbon. But it's done simultaneously, and it's called a carbon tzibar. Also, the carbon pesach was sacrificed on behalf of people that joined. It didn't matter if they were young, old, whoever was in the group was in the group. So now again we find the Shkolim and Pada have a connection. Although they seem total opposites, they both have an ultimate goal of uniting the Jews. Whether it's the redemption of Purim, the redemption of Pesach, it's all about the Jews coming together. What does that teach us ultimately? Jewish unity allows the continued existence of individuality and personal differences. No two Jews, no two people are the same really. And that's respected. Live and let live. When it comes before God, we stand united. When the Friedrich Rebbe, the previous Chabad Rebbe, wanted Chassidus to be spread, his goal was to have it spread throughout the world. The one who teaches, the one who does not, the one who does not learn, are two different, separate people, separate worlds. They're opposite ends of the spectrum. But the goal was to bring all together that the one outside is far from the living waters of Tera, and the one who must spread the fountains is in possession of the fountain itself. But it's not a fountain, it's fountains. It's plural. Because the person spreading is not only the source to spread, but also the fact that it's their own personal domain, it becomes also Tzibur. And so too the Paraduma did not get burnt within the camp. The Paraduma had to be burnt outside the camp. And the ashes had to be mixed and the mixture that the Kohen threw was done on the outside. And the portion of Shkolim comes before it precedes Para, which tells us there has to be an act of unity before we do anything. Two Jews together bringing a shekel and then ultimately the profound unity of the Jewish nation. And the unity that we build by spreading the wellspring of Teda and Yiddishkeit will usher the ultimate unity of the ultimate true redemption of Mashiach. It should be in a manner of bringing one redemption, cut of Geula le Geula, of Purim to Pesach, so that we'll celebrate Pesach Mi Hashem in Arzenu Hakdesha in the chosen land Yerushalayim, on Har on Har Abayis, in the Beis Hamikdash, and be Neichel min Azvachim and Absachim, and of course before that we'll all be purified. By the tenth of the red heifers, the ultimate tenth of the red heifers, which will purify us, elevate us, and take us in with Mashiach Tzidkenu, and then starting with this Shabbos as we prepare our Pada Aduma. Shabbat Shalom.
to all.